Hi, I'm Mina Karaman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. On Monday, crypto crashed hard, again. A cryptocurrency lending platform called Celsius Network froze all of its withdrawals and transfers. This was because of, quote, extreme market conditions. Bitcoin, the most well-known cryptocurrency, dropped to an 18-month low. And Ether, which is the second largest, also dropped to its lowest point in two years. Because of a lack of regulations, crypto is often described as the Wild West. And let's face it, for a lot of us, how cryptocurrency works remains kind of a mystery. And what's happening now is we're realizing that there's been basically zero regulation of this because no one has been able to figure out, is crypto a currency? Is it a security? Is it an asset? You know, all these definitions matter in how you regulate. Reporter and columnist Tim Kalatz is back on the show to help explain why, even with all the usual ups and downs, this crash is one to pay attention to. He'll help us understand how cryptocurrency actually works and what this news means for investors and for the rest of the market. This is The Decibel. Tim, it's great to have you on the podcast again. Great to be here. A lot has happened (laughs) since I was on, and that was not too long ago. Yes, I'm glad we're talking again, because this is a big week for sure. Uh, I think a lot of people have heard of cryptocurrency. We know that they can be extremely volatile, uh, and we've been hearing about a downturn in the sector for a few months now. So why does this crash that happened this week, why does this matter? Probably for two reasons. Uh, One is that it's been so forceful. So since November, it's just kind of been a nonstop spiral down. Secondly, though, and I would argue that this is the most important reason, is that this, in a way, wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, The sector has developed uh, so much by now that there should have been some stability built in. You know, the sector is known for being volatile. But in previous crashes, it was when the sector was still pretty young and it hadn't really attracted mainstream money. And mainstream could also mean retail money. So kind of the average the average investor, me, you, our parents, et cetera. And this time, that, all those investors are in it because in the last year, really, maybe 18 months, it went mainstream. And so now all of a sudden, it's not just people who were willing to kind of take the risk and be kind of an early investor. It's everybody. You know, there's been studies that show that a, a decent number of people have at least dabbled in, in crypto, even if it's only putting 100 bucks in or, or whatever into Bitcoin. And so now everybody's paying attention. And at the same time, it's happening while the broader stock market is falling. And so it all seems to be happening altogether at once. And that makes people panic. And hmm. panic is the worst thing that could happen for investments. Right. Okay. And we are going to delve right into what's going on right now. But just before that, I think it's probably worth asking you a little bit about what cryptocurrency actually is, because we talk a lot about it. But honestly, sometimes I feel like I don't really understand it. And I bet I'm not the only person. So for the purpose of understanding what's happening now with this crash specifically, what do we need to know, Tim, about how crypto works? (laughs) I laugh only because it's not an easy question to answer. And this has actually been one of the central struggles, problems, whatever term you want to use for crypto. 
Uh, in the early days, um, this is around 2009, when Bitcoin, which was the first cryptocurrency, launched, it was meant to be digital money, is how I would describe it. And it was meant to be a very simple, pure system that would fix some of the problems in the current financial system. And the, the main idea was that you didn't need an intermediary. So, you know, right now you go to pay for something with your credit card um, or your debit card and it clears or the money goes through Visa or MasterCard or your bank. Right. So there's a, a big institution that sits in the middle. The idea was that these big institutions take a lot of fees uh, because they process everything. You need them and therefore they're expensive and they know that. The idea was if you can kind of decentralize the system or take that intermediary or central player out, you could actually free up a lot is probably the best way to describe it. That's how it makes sense in my head. The problem is that as crypto has grown or expanded and, and more and more money's flown into it, and you know, by November, there was $3.2 trillion in it. For context, the amount of money invested in Canadian mutual funds is about $2 trillion. So you know, we're a G7 country. Uh, so that's more than we even had in our mutual fund industry. So we're talking a lot of a lot of money then at this yeah. point. Yeah, on a global level, it's not a massive, massive amount, but it was you know quite sizable. So Tim, you're you're someone who's been watching markets very closely. I, I guess what is your understanding? What's your read of what's actually happening with with crypto here? I would say, and this is a really important point. I think don't overcomplicate it. It's actually just a very human urge that's playing out right now, which is fear. And people sell, people run when they feel fearful. And it has happened time and time again, and that's what's playing out now. And the problem is just that there was so much money in the system that there's so much money to come out. It's really that simple. Hmm. I understand there's there's a lot of different kinds of cryptocurrency as well. Could, just, could you give us a sense of like how many are actually out there? To be honest, I don't even know if you could give a, a legit number because there are, I think, thousands, but a lot of them are are nothing. So I would say there's a, probably about 50 to 100 that actually have notoriety, at least within, within the industry. And what has become quite interesting is that some of these new cryptocurrencies have popped up with no real use case, but they somehow gain attention and they become a thing. And now you have a huge number of them that, you know, mm -hmm. exist and trade. And, you know, some of them are crashing now. And, and I'll be frank, there are ones that, that have been crashing in the last month that I was like, I barely even heard of that uh, until the crash started. And you're following this stuff pretty closely. So if you have barely heard of this, then a lot of people probably have not for sure. Totally. And that I think is a, actually a really crucial point, at least in my mind, is that the, the more you delve into it, the, in my words, scarier it's become in the sense of, this isn't really about Bitcoin and Ether. You know, Bitcoin was just the beginning. What a huge fraction of this market was building is something called decentralized finance or DeFi. Mm. And it is literally a parallel financial system. Huh. And there can be good and bad that comes from that. But the more you delve into it, the more you realize, oh my gosh, there are loans and mortgages wow. and all types of, yeah, like, regular financial instruments, basically, that are, exist in this world. And what's happening now is we're realizing that there's been basically zero regulation of this because no one has been able to figure out, is crypto a currency? Is it a security? Is it an asset? You know, all these definitions matter in how you regulate, but there is no definition. And therefore, no one's been you know, kind of watching the till, basically. And so it's mm -hmm. proliferated so quickly. And then all of a sudden, you have a crash. 
And when some of the major currencies like Bitcoin start to crash, the mortgages valued in Bitcoin crash too. And so we're seeing these kind of knock-on effects and we kind of call it financial contagion. So let's talk about this this recent crash that's happened then, because I think this is hopefully going to start to tie all of these ideas together a little bit. At, at the center of this crash is, is a company called Celsius Network. Can you help us understand, Tim, what is Celsius Network? Celsius can be whatever you want it to be in some fashion, which is... okay. Sounds a bit insane, but it's actually kind of the truth. The way it's been talked about and when the Caisse de Depot, which is you know, Quebec's major pension fund, uh, invested in it last fall, it was phrased as, and this isn't a direct quote, you know, it's the bank of the future. Uh, that's what they said about it. And so what Celsius effectively was doing was using Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies as, as if it was a dollar and lending money out uh, in crypto. What has been happening more and more is that the the crypto world is trying to create its own ecosystem. So you never have to convert back to dollars. So let's say you've invested in Bitcoin, you've made a bunch of money, you want to just stay in Bitcoin. You can now use that as a currency. And what has never been all that clear is how the relationship between that world and the dollar world interact and where clashes would crop up. And so what we think has happened now, because no one is clear just yet, you know, Celsius only put out a very kind of bland statement saying we're having liquidity issues effectively, which what effectively means is there's there's money trouble, but we don't exactly know what know what that means just yet. And that kind of spurred on the crash, right? That statement that they put out basically saying they're shutting down their transactions for now. Yeah, exactly. What what it could mean and the way I interpret it is that the bank itself still has to act as that intermediary effectively between the crypto world and the real world. So crypto is still in its early stages. So it has to kind of be backed by dollars. And cut me off if this is getting confusing, because it does get kind of complicated. But I'm I'm with you for now. So keep going. Keep going. (laughs) So, you know, let's say I have a dollar that I put in into the bank and think of it as like your collateral for your mortgage or the money that you have on a mortgage. You have to put a down payment in, right? Say $100,000 if you're buying a million dollar home. They then use that money, this collateral they have and lend it out, but in the form of cryptocurrencies. The problem is all of a sudden crypto starts to spiral downward and the math does not work anymore. And worse than that, it's crashing faster than it even rose in some respects. And so... The way I think about it, uh, the way I make sense of it is that imagine you owe somebody at the end of the day, a dollar in dollars. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, in simple dollar terms, but you've lent that dollar out in Bitcoin. You might get your loan repaid in Bitcoin. So it's, you know, a dollar back in Bitcoin, but Bitcoin has fallen by 50%. So when you convert that Bitcoin money, that's been fully repaid back to dollars, it's only 50 cents. Uh, so Celsius Network that was kind of making all these transactions happen is actually losing money then because the Bitcoin is not worth as much now. Yes, it's possible. We don't know exactly. No, another another um, example could be that all of a sudden um, everybody who kind of has a Bitcoin loan or something decides, you know what, like Bitcoin's scaring me. I actually want to pay back my loan or, um, you know, effectively kind of get out of the system. But you can't have everybody get out of the system at the same time because that's just not how systems are built. The fear right now is that there's a contagion effect and there's these knock-on effects that spread through the market and it's because they're all tied in some way or another 
to the central currencies and the central currencies are crashing. Okay. And because the major cryptocurrencies are crashing, that's causing concern then because everyone's kind of tied to that then within the sector. Yes. Right? And okay. one thing I really want to stress because we always underestimate the importance of psychological and human emotion in any type of market, and that's a stock market, crypto markets, etc. Everything is so easy to believe and get excited about when it's going up. But the second things turn negative, there's been studies done that show that the power of a loss that's the exact same amount as a gain is twice as powerful when it's negative. And right now we're in that downward trend. And so everything just feels negative and cloudy and people panic. So there's a lot of people invested now. Um, Not everyone, though. So I guess a broader question here, Tim, is why does what happens in the crypto world, why does that actually matter to the larger market as well? We lived in this past decade of just unrelenting, unstoppable stock market growth. You know, we had a few years of pause and, you know, there were some hiccups along the way, but it kind of felt like everything was going to go up forever. And crypto was almost the extension of that. You know, we were losing kind of touch with fundamentals, with reality in some sense. You know, you had more and more tech companies that had never made money, never made a profit, getting astronomical valuations. And the idea was that they would be super profitable in the future because they would grow so big that they eventually would attract a lot of users the way that Amazon had or Facebook had. Crypto was like one step even more uh, intense in that direction, which is that there isn't really a use case for it right now, but everyone believed it or kind of bought it on this idea of the future, which is that, you know, you might want to get in now because in 10 years time, Bitcoin is going to be our currency. And if you don't have access to it now, it'll be even harder to get access to it then. And therefore, you're going to be screwed. What never made sense to me was for these networks to become dominant, they need to be able to be accessed by everybody. Mm. And to be accessed by everybody, they can't be expensive because then it's only kind of effectively catering to the rich or those who already have it. Does this crypto crash, does it have anything to do with the bear market that we're seeing right now? It does in the sense that right now everyone is scared. And when you're scared, the first things you sell are your riskiest investments. And crypto, because it doesn't have those central uses or, you know, there's nothing that really shows what it should be worth or what fair value is, is the riskiest of all, at least in my mind, or it's one of the riskiest. And there there are lots of others, don't get me wrong. But that has led this sale. So by definition, a bear market is when a stock market usually has corrected or dropped by 20%. But in general, a bear market means things are falling, you know, prices are going down, and they're, and they're kind of staying down for quite some time. And I think what people need to appreciate is that the bearishness in the market, the, the fear could persist for a long time. And if you listen to central bank officials, particularly in the U.S., they are making it pretty clear that they are going to hike rates aggressively and keep rates elevated for a long time because they have to get rid of inflation. Inflation is like the number one problem for an economy. And with higher rates, the risky assets tend to go down. Like it's kind of that simple. That's the relationship. And so therefore, if you're hoping for a quick bounce, yeah, it's possible, but If you're looking at history, it means that the riskiest stuff is going to stay subdued for quite some time. 
So in your opinion, have people been bamboozled in a way? Like, have they been sold this fantastic idea of a, a great investment and it's it's really not? I think they've been bamboozled in the way that they've been sold this very utopian dream, but nothing is ever going to be that great. Hmm. It's literally been marketed as, that crypto lately has been marketed as the future. And if you don't believe in the future, you are going to look like a fool. And that is very scary territory. And I, to me, honestly, it makes me really mad. Because if there was real value there today, you would market the value. You know, Wealthsimple runs an ad that literally mocks people who don't believe. And the worst part is they use like a, a meta psychological analogy. They have this primitive community that is watching somebody play with a wheel, like literally like a, a wheel on the ground, you know? Mm-hmm. And they were kind of saying like, oh, like I don't believe in the wheel. The wheel is a Ponzi scheme. Like they actually use the word Ponzi scheme to try to like make you think of all the terms that have been used about crypto. I don't get caught up in the hype. People get caught up in the hype and it causes all kinds of problems. We did this! This is genius! So we all agree change is bad. Progress doesn't work. Ponzi scheme. Fad. And then the, the takeaway is, you know, imagine you didn't believe in the wheel. Look how silly you would look today. Yeah, I, I've seen that ad. It really plays on, you know, FOMO. Like you're you're feeling like you're missing out on something big that like is, seems so obvious when you look back on it, right? Yeah, and it bothers me. And, and, and I don't mean to just call well simple out. Like just this week in, uh, in the New Yorker magazine, like FTX has this huge marketing campaign. FTX is the uh, crypto exchange that the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan invested in. And it's like Giselle, like the supermodel, you know, Tom Brady's wife is like one of the major people in the ads and in these beautiful lush ads. And it's just the idea of be with us. You know, we are the zeitgeist and you want to be with us. Steph Curry, like in the NBA finals is running FTX ads. And I'm like, Steph, why? (laughs) So, I mean, is there a safe way to invest in this though, Tim? Like what if people do kind of want to be in on this excitement, but you know, also want to be careful with their investment. Can they do that? So there is a way, which is, you know, make sure that it's only a tiny part of your portfolio. And, and that, that applies to any type of, you know, risky asset. Like what? Like 5% kind of thing? Yeah, say 3%, there. 5%, et cetera. Okay. However, what has made me quite frustrated in the last little while is even that analogy has been kind of flipped on its head in crypto land or kind of taken advantage of. So during this sell-off, people are saying, oh, just hold on to it. It doesn't matter, you know, because in 10 years time, you just never know. It, it could hit, you know, it, it could rise back up and therefore you'll look like a champ. Whereas with a stock, let's use Netflix, uh, for example, you know, Netflix stock has crashed, but Netflix at least has these benchmarks because all stocks have benchmarks of, of what is expensive or what is cheap. So usually you would say if something is trading for 15 times its earnings. So if the stock made $1 this year, the company made $1 this year, its stock should be $15. And that's kind of like a fair price for the stock. If it's above that price, you know, it's, it's expensive. If it's below that, it's cheap. So there's kind of these, these, these age old models in crypto. There are no models. And that is what's so scary because you're just operating in this world, this vacuum, so to speak, where no one really knows. And that's allowed people to come in and sell stories about why you should or shouldn't invest or why something is or isn't cheap. Do you think we'll continue to see crypto fall? Uh, I, I, <laughs> you, you probably heard me stumble there. It's, it's because no one knows. And I, I want to be frank and say that I don't know. So these promoters have always existed everywhere. So that's why I do think that in some ways crypto can get a bad rap because it's not as though 
all this stuff doesn't exist in other other realms but we really don't have those benchmarks that i talked about and therefore you're flying blind tim thank you so much for for taking the time to, to speak with me today and explain all this really appreciate it that's it for today i'm manika raman wilms our producers are madeline white cheryl sutherland and rachel levy mclaughlin david crosby edits the show Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.